What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Shreddy's Take podcast. I'm your host, Alex, a.k.a. Shreddy. I'm finally back. The show is not going to be airing as frequently, which I'm sure is going to be a shock to all six of you that were watching or listening on a consistent basis. But I've been really busy, if you couldn't tell. I'll be getting into that a little bit, but first I just want to address some things. So I'm going to be changing the show format a little bit. I'm actually going to be trying doing shorter shows in hopes that a smaller and shorter format will get more people to tune in. I don't know if it's going to work yet, but you know, we're just going to have to test it and see what happens. But first we should address where the heck have I been? Well, I have been getting a lot of video editing work, which is super awesome. I don't think I mentioned that on any of the previous episodes, but ever since about August of 2020, I started getting regular video work, which is really awesome because, you know, this show is the the main thing about it has always been about how to make money as a filmmaker. And for the first time in my life, I'm paying all of my bills through video work, which is completely insane to me to think about it. All of my savings and everything, I am doing absolutely nothing else but video editing, which is crazy. And that is going to be the topic of a future episode about how to find work like that or, you know, just how to do some different avenues about how to make money in general as a filmmaker. But, you know, we'll we'll see how that goes in the future. But I definitely want to fill you guys in about that. I've been pretty going pretty steady here the last couple of months. Hopefully that keeps building some momentum and, you know, I'll have some more juicy information for you guys. But what is the main topic for today? So this episode is going to be airing on Wednesday, February 24th, which is just a couple of days from now. And for those who don't know, February 25th, which is tomorrow, will be the one year anniversary that I released my first feature film, Cashing Out, all by myself. You know, I did... It's not a complete year because I actually released the movie in theaters on January 15th, but on home video, it was released on February 25th, 2020. So tomorrow's the one year anniversary. So I thought it'd be cool to kind of reflect on that. You know, it's it's wild that I'm even in this situation right now. Uh, I want to talk about things that I did wrong, what I did right, maybe some anecdotes about the experiences of independently releasing my own movie. So. You know, let's just get into it from there. So like I said before, it's it's bizarre that I that it's been a year. It's even more bizarre that it's done. I never thought in a million years there would be a time when I wouldn't be talking about or thinking about cashing out on a regular basis. Now, you know, I'm checking for reviews like user reviews and the Amazon Prime numbers and stuff like that on a daily basis. But it's just strange to me that I spent so much time thinking about this story and how I would make it and all this stuff. And I haven't really, I haven't thought about that in years. And it's just nuts to me. I I had the same thought with, you know, when I was making my short film, Let Me Go, I was always constantly thinking about it. And just recently I haven't. And it's just weird how something that takes up a big part of your life just kind of is still comes and goes. Now it's not something I want to kind of dwell on. That's not the point of me telling you all this because 
it's just, like I said, it's just kind of insane to me, but it's good. It's healthy because I don't want to be stuck on just one project. I want to be moving on to the next thing and trying to outdo myself. So hopefully that happens. But let me give you guys some backstory if maybe you've never heard me talk about the movie or anything like that. So the concept for this movie actually came. So when I was in college, I had an independent study after my script writing class. Uh, I wrote an episode of a TV show, a TV show that exists for a class with a group. And I decided I wanted to do something more on my own. So I took an independent study and I thought about writing a feature. I could do whatever I want in this class. So, you know, however I wanted to write the script, that was completely, completely up to me. So I had the choice, you know, do I want to write a a short or do I want to stick with a feature? And I didn't want to write a feature as like my first like real script. Like that was the first time I've the, the TV show was the first time I'd ever written like a real script, like in the Hollywood standard format. So I didn't want to just jump in and, you know, write a whole feature, my first feature in such a short amount of time. Cause you know, I had to write it in a semester, which was about, you know, three or four months, whatever that time is. So I, I didn't think I could do it. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to write a short. So I came up with an idea for a short. I spent a lot of time, like even before the semester started, like trying to come up with an idea and all this and that. And I came up with this idea. I don't remember exactly what the idea was about, but I had worked on it forever. I was one of those stereotypical Quentin Tarantino nerds who thought that they could write a story like Quentin Tarantino. And I got to blame my mentor a little bit on this because you kind of put it in my head. Like, how do you like telling stories? I generally like telling stories in a non-sequential format you know, sometimes I'm over here and then I'm over here and blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, you know, what? maybe I should try to do something like that. So, you know, I, this is probably around the time that I really started getting into Tarantino and watching like Pulp Fiction. I know Pulp Fiction was like a big uh, inspiration for me for that story because I tried to break Pulp Fiction down as far as like it's three. I, th- I think there's three timelines in that movie. So I really tried to break it down to try to figure out how can I emulate that in my story. And that was a terrible idea. And through winter break, you know, the break after the fall semester ends before the spring semester starts, about halfway through there, I decided to completely give up that idea, which is not something I wanted to do a week before this class started because I wanted to come prepared just so I can get started on coming up with the, you know, the, the script. um, Cause I, I think I came up with a pitch for it. One of the big things in the script writing classes, we had to write a treatment and then also do like a breakdown with note cards. So I wanted to have the story ready before the class even started just so I could get right into those things. I wouldn't have to, you know, spend the first month just coming up with the idea, but alas, I decided to scrap that entire idea that I had. And I came up with this idea for a story about, a blackjack tournament. So I was playing a lot of blackjack after I turned 21 and I actually got really good at it. I'm still pretty good at it, but I played a lot of blackjack tournaments. Um, reason being is because I don't have as a college student, I didn't really have a lot of money to play blackjack and games around here are not very cheap. They were 10 to $15 a hand, more like $15 on most nights on the weekends, which is 
when I was able to go, it was very, very scarce to find a $10 table. Every once in a while, I'd find a $5 table, but very, very rarely. Anyway, I was playing a lot of blackjack, but I discovered one of the local casinos had a blackjack tournament and it was only like 30 bucks and you got like a thousand starting chips and you just had to end like there was a couple of rounds. You play like 15, 20 hands, something like that. And whoever had the most chips at the end of the round would move on to the next round and then so on and so forth until you get to a final table. And then if you won the final table, you won a prize. I think you came in first, second or third, you got a prize. And then you also got, if you won like the, uh, that tournament, you got your name entered into a bigger tournament. So it was like a series of tournaments that led up to a, a big tournament. So I think first prize was like a thousand dollars, something like that every week. Second prize was 300 and so on. So I played a couple of them and I actually placed second in one of the tournaments, uh, one of the weekly tournaments. So I won 300 bucks on one of them. So I think I played like a total of three times. So, you know, it ended up being profitable for me. Not hugely, but, you know, when you're a college kid and you don't have a lot of money, it's pretty awesome. But if you didn't get your name or if you didn't win, you know, obviously you wouldn't get a seat at the final tournament. But they if you played, you got your name in a drawing. So that way, if people didn't show up because, you know, they wanted to have a full tournament, um, if you they would do a drawing for the empty seats for people who didn't show up or if they just had empty seats in general. So I decided to go to the final tournament, hoping that my name would get drawn and it did. And it was the most mind boggling experience of my life at that point. Like it was insane that I got called for that. So I played and I've like in side note, I spent a lot of time practicing and perfecting a format of how or a strategy of how I would play this game. And you know, I, I probably would still like, it's not, it's not an overly complicated strategy, but it worked for me very, very well. And I ended up getting, um, it came down to the very last hand. I'll never forget this. I can't remember what the hand was. I think I had like a pair of threes and I split them or I had the chance to split them or something. But if I, if I would have, I, I decided to go against what the basic strategy move was for that hand and went with something a little bit more safe just in case, you know, the, cause they, I think the person who I was very neck and neck with, they ended up ha- having a lot of chips on the line. So I thought maybe, you know, we'll all lose. And then that's all I'll win. Well, if I would have played correctly, I ended up, I would have ended up winning that tournament, but I actually got second place, which I won $2,000, which was nuts. If I would have gotten one first place, I would have won $7,500, which would have been even crazier. And I wanted to go to film school at that point. So I was like ecstatic that I had some money to potentially go to film school. So I played, it was around the time that I played that. And I actually played it one other time. You know, they had one more like a few months later and I ended up getting second place in that one too. So I won another $2,000, which was nuts. Um, but you know, I just, I, I made a lot of like friends doing that. Not, not like lifelong friends, but it's like, you know, people knew who I was and I knew who these people were. People feared me. All these people who played blackjack for years, like these older people, you know, in their fifties or 40, like forties and fifties are scared of this 21 year old kid, you know, who's just crushing it at these blackjack games just because like, I just understood a strategy that just really, really worked for me. But I decided like, there's an interesting story here. So I'm going to take that and run with it and 
I decided to create, you know, the basics, you know, the, the, the skeleton based around this, um, these blackjack tournaments. And, you know, the story was okay. My professor told me that she really, really loved the story and it was one of the best scripts that she ever read, but I knew there was no way that I'd be able to make this movie on my own. I decided I was going to start like coming up with a feature length script idea for it. And I didn't really like any of the ideas, but moving back a little bit, I ended up getting an award for that script um, in Las Vegas because one of the prerequisites for the class was that I would have to enter the script into a competition. And I ended up getting an honorable mention award to it for it. So I ended up going to Vegas, which is very fitting for the script. And, you know, I had a blast going there. I went by myself, so I, I didn't get to enjoy it as much as I would have liked to because I wasn't sure if I could bring my girlfriend or not. So I didn't just in case because like my professor kind of made it seem like we couldn't bring people. So I'm like, I'm just going to go by myself, um, which, you know, that's fine. But uh, I made it up to her years later by taking her to Vegas. And we had a blast. But anyway, so I actually pitched a feature length idea to a bunch of Hollywood agents and managers and stuff like that. And it was really fun. Um, it was very nerve wracking, but I learned a lot from that experience, but I spent the next couple of years, like just trying to make this a feature idea work and it just didn't. And, you know, I kept tabling it and, or shelving it rather. And, you know, I, I just wasn't happy with it and I was doing other projects, but eventually I came up with the, the robbery aspect of it. And after that it was game over. I ended up finishing the script in late 2016. I ended up trying to cast a lot of people that I already knew and then just filling in the gaps with auditions from local actors and stuff like that. But like my main cast was pretty much locked down before 2017. We decided we were going to start shooting uh, February. We started shooting, I think, February 24th. So, wow, that's bizarre. That February, I think February 24th, it was the day that Get Out came out in theaters. It was a Friday. I remember that. So I think it was February 24th, 2017, we started shooting. So this will be an out. This will be the fourth anniversary of when we started shooting when this podcast comes out. It's weird how everything comes full circle, right? So after that, we started shooting, finished the movie in June of 2017, and then took me a couple of years to edit. I told this story a hundred times, so I won't bore you with it. So I want to talk about some other things, such as my favorite moments, you know, some things, you know, like the most fun scenes to film and the ones that are most difficult to film because that's not something that I get to talk about much. So I thought it'd be fun to kind of reflect on that. So some of my favorite moments, we had a lot of inside jokes. I'd say the biggest inside joke that I remember, at least when we were filming, is that I have these little lavalier microphones. Um, they are the Tascam DR10Ls, which I think I don't think I ever got the chance to do that as like a product review on this show or product recommend recommendation on here. I will eventually, but you know, they, they were just these lavalier microphones, but they were their own recorder. So you couldn't hook it up to a field recorder and, you know, have any control over that. So if you wanted to stop it between takes, the actors would have to pull it out, you know, pause it, blah, blah, blah. And I just thought that was too, too difficult to have them do constantly to try to remember. So I'm like, I came up with this idea. I can't remember who coined the name. It might have been me, but it might have been somebody else too. So if one of the cast or crew or cast members are watching this and they came up with the, the name Konging, uh, let me know. But basically between takes or before take would start, 
uh, I would yell out Kong or somebody would yell out Kong and whoever was wearing a lavalier microphone would tap on it. So that way, you know, there would be a spike in the, the, the waveform on the, the file. So that way I could figure out where the takes were, by the way, terrible idea. Didn't help at all, but you know, it's a fun little memory. So we still do it to this day where it's like somebody will just yell out Kong and then they'll shoot. Yeah. I'm hitting the microphone now, you know, they'll beat on their chest, uh, you know, for that reason. And, you know, that was always funny. Um, I can't remember some of the other inside jokes that we had. We had so many. Um, there's a couple really inappropriate ones that I won't say, but it had to deal with some plot points of the movie and death and stuff like that. And it just, it got a little, it got a little dark, but you know, it was, we, we all tried to make, make it lighthearted all the time. The set was very, very lighthearted. Even during some of those crazier scenes, like I've mentioned this before, but that scene where Tyler and Whitney are having like their uh, reconciliation towards the end, you know, that big emotional moment when they're apologizing to each other and all that. It was nuts to watch those two kind of flip their, that switch on and off between takes because they'd be like, Tyler's super goofy. Like he's not as dramatic as he is in the movie. Like he kept the set very, very light. But the way that those two were able to laugh in between takes and then just boom, action and everything just got completely serious was just amazing to watch. Not just because like, you know, it, it's just crazy that they're able to do that, but it's just like, it just is a testament to their talent of how they were able to do things like that. But anyway, uh, yeah, the set was just extremely lighthearted all the time, especially when Tyler, Michaela and, uh, Tremont were all together. They were all, they, they loved being together. You know, there was a lot of late nights at the theater where we'd have them all together. And, you know, it was, it was always a riot. Sometimes it would make the days a little longer, but I try not to be too hardcore on set about those things because when you're asking people to volunteer their time, you know, you don't want to make it feel like a job. And I do admit that it could have made days a little bit shorter if I would have been, you know, like hardcore about it, but it was a lot of fun. And I, I had a lot of fun shooting with, you know, a lot of the actors on set, you know, they just kept things so fun and lighthearted. So I actually want to talk about the first day. I don't think I've ever talked about this on camera before, but I kind of want to talk about the first day and how I almost kind of screwed the pooch. So on the very first day, I, ha I had two major location changes. So we shot the, I call them fantasy scenes, all the kind of like visions Tyler would have of, uh, that, uh, Alan would have of Jackie, you know, kind of like those brief moments where he was having just like people got them confused. Like they were memories, but they were just like daydreaming. Um, so that's why I called them fantasy scenes, but we shot all of those at Michaela's uh, parents' house in Illinois. And, uh, you know, that was a pretty far drive. And then I did shoots all the way back a little bit further than where I live in Northwest Indiana, uh, for the flashback scenes of, uh, young Tyler who young Tyler or young Allen is actually, um, Whitney Wickham's son, Noah. Uh, we shot that at their house when they still lived in Northwest Indiana. And, you know, that was a big gap between the two. So that made for kind of a miserable day, but I spent so much time preparing everything for this shoot 
that I didn't think to find some of the simpler things. So I, I generally would do like any before any shoot, like with any of my short films, I would do like a practice shoot to make sure I have all the equipment and just to make sure I'm back in the flow of everything. I didn't do that on cashing out. I guess I got too cocky and comfortable with my process that I'm like, I got this. And I spent like 30 minutes trying to find the tripod head, not the tripod head, but the tripod plate for the camera. I couldn't find it. No idea where it was. I was freaking out because all of the, sh- the shots for those scenes were on a tripod and I needed them. And I'm like, what the heck did I do with these, with, with the tripod plate? I ended up finding it, but it goes to show you no matter how much you can prepare for something, just something so silly like that can happen. And there's just, I laugh about it now, but holy crap, I was so stressed out that day especially after because we did Michaela's stuff first so that was like the first half of the day then I had to drive two hours from Michaela's house to Whitney's house and I was just burnt out already and it just it was not fun but I got through the day luckily most shooting days were very very smooth from there I will say though kind of going off of things I wish I would have done differently. I worked with a sound engineer for the first time, like not just somebody just holding up the, the, uh, the crappy boom pole that I made doing sound. I actually had somebody to do actual sound recording and he told me I should probably return or turn off the refrigerator inside of the trailer that we shot at. And I'm just like, I don't know if we can do that. Normally I would do it any other place that I would be to clean sound, but I'm like, I don't think we can do that here just because, you know, I don't want to, you know, it's like one of those situations where you, I just didn't feel comfortable doing it and I didn't want to unplug it because then we'd have to move things. Turns out that I could have just turned off the refrigerator inside the refrigerator. Not every refrigerator has a knob that I can just shut it off. Sometimes I just have to unplug it. Well, this refrigerator had a knob inside of it that I could have turned off and on between takes that I needed to. So make sure you do that from now on because it was a nightmare trying to edit out that refrigerator noise. And I knew that was one of the main complaints about the movie. If I could have just figured out that refrigerator noise, just turn that off. All those scenes would have been much nicer, but whatever we live and we learn, right? But let's move on to the most fun scenes to film. And I was trying to think about this. Like I didn't dislike shooting any of the scenes. Like some of them were really tough. So, but let's get into the fun stuff first. So I'd say the dance scene was one of the most fun just because like, I felt like that was like the most like Hollywood thing that I've ever done because I went out and rented a, 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 a banquet hall to shoot that at. I actually had to present my idea to, uh, the parks department of where I shot it to get their approval to to let me shoot it there. Cause you know, I wanted to release I wanted to do everything right with this movie. So I rented out the hall, you know, I bought all these lights. Um, I wish I could have got more people to, you know, made it feel more Hollywood and a bigger scene, but you know, that's like the biggest like scene that I've ever put together to this date, just with everything that happened with it. Like that is the biggest thing that I've ever done. And I'd love to be able to do more things like that. That's actually one of the reasons why it's written in the movie, because like that seems very important to me just from a thematic standpoint. But like, I also wanted to show like that I can handle a big, like doing a big scene like that. 
Um, you know, just cause it's not really an action scene, but that, that scene is definitely a set piece. So I wanted to do something kind of outside of the locations that I had available to me because it's mostly, most of this movie shot at people's houses and garages and stuff like that. So I kind of wanted to step out of my comfort zone and do something a little bit more cinematic. So that was, you know, one of the main purposes of that scene. And, you know, I just felt like a real director, like getting the extras and getting them to do what I need to being able to shoot everything I want. My only regret with that scene is I wish I would have been able to shoot it on a gimbal. Um, we were supposed to shoot it on a gimbal, but that didn't happen. So I ended up having to shoot everything handheld. So it didn't turn out exactly how I wanted. If I would have known more about gimbals, I would have known that I could have just rented a gimbal and put my camera on it. But the guy that I was supposed to rent it from, he told me it would, that camera wouldn't fit on there. Turns out that's not true because I ended up buying that gimbal years later. My camera definitely fits on it. I would say the poker scenes were really fun to shoot too. Um, but that's actually, I'd say those are the hardest scenes to shoot. Were definitely the hardest scenes to shoot. Mostly when we were had the cards on the table. Just because for continuity reasons, you know, it's you got to make sure everything looks the same. And there's a lot of elements working against me as far as like, you know, continuity things like, so you got poker chips, you got the cards, you got the placement of the cards, you got the placement of the chips, you got people's drinks on the table. It was a literal nightmare to make sure that all that stuff flowed continuously, which probably isn't something I needed to spend so much time on, but I'm glad I did because, you know, people complain about what hands I specifically chose. Like a lot of poker players, if you read some of the reviews on Amazon, complained about some of the hands that I chose and the way that people played these hands. Okay, you try shooting a poker scene and making it look good and making the continuity look good. Okay, I did what I could and I think it turned out pretty well. So whatever. Come at me, bro, because I will win that fight. You know, those scenes were really fun to shoot. And I think they turned out pretty well as far as like filming and stuff like that. Um, actually, one of the, the the biggest mistakes that I made, I don't think I ever talked about this, but one of the biggest mistakes that I learned on this movie was uh, the frequencies as far as the lighting goes with the aperture of the camera. That's not something I really knew about because I'm still like I, I'm still I'm pretty experienced with the camera, but there's still a lot of technical things that I don't understand hundred percent. And this day ended up proving that. So we, I can't remember what kind of lights were in the garage at the point. I, we, I bought some LEDs, some LED, like uh, tube lights to put, it, they just had like, you know, the work lights, the general work lights you see in most garages. So I was going to put some LEDs in there just so they were a little bit brighter. Um, Cause I didn't want to rely too heavily on, I have a lot of crappy lights that aren't really made for lighting big scenes like that. You know, I don't have like a Kino flow or, you know, like the big, you know, like thousand watt lights or anything like that, that you would normally see. I just have like these really tiny led lights that I use for most of it. So I had to come up with alternative solutions to, you know, light scenes, but turns out, that the the frequency of these lights worked against the aperture and it created a flickering effect. And man, I went into panic mode. Like I thought I was going to have to quit the whole movie after that because I was so embarrassed. And I'm like, because I, I thought we were going to have to reshoot everything that we had shot. 
And that was a long, those poker scenes were long days. Every single one of them was a 12 hour day. And I think we did somewhere between three and five. I want to, we did at least three, but I want to say we did four or five days total. Those were all very, very long days, but I ended up finding a, uh, a fix for it on Adobe. Fortunately, didn't fix it a hundred percent, but the only way you'd ever notice is if I pointed it out to you, but man, that was a scary day. So I, (laughs) that, that's not a, that is not a feeling that I missed that I miss very much, but I'm glad I figured it out. And I know not to do that again, but those are definitely the hard, the hardest and the most fun scenes to shoot. I'd say also anything outdoors was very difficult to shoot there because we shot in the middle of the winter. So it was just cold in general, like the, the scenes in the parking lot of the restaurant, it was like 20 degrees out that day. And we shot it at night and man, was that miserable. And dummy Tyler was wearing only a hoodie that day. I don't know why he didn't wear a coat too, but that was a miserable shoot. And the only people I had crew wise was my cinematographer, Missy, and then my girlfriend. And I didn't want them to go through that. So I shot part of it. There's actually a scene that's not in the movie anymore, but I shot it by myself, sound and picture because I didn't want them to have to stand outside because of how cold it was just because apparently that's how much of a gentleman I am. But that was very, very miserable. And just a lot of the outdoor scenes in general, just because when you're working against wind and stuff like that, just makes it very difficult. Actually, some of the, some of the neighbors at some of the houses were very, very loud. We actually had to reshoot an entire scene uh, that we, that we shot because the neighbors were so loud the night that we originally shot it. So I'm like, let's just shoot this again. You know, some people weren't happy about that, but there, there are just some elements that you just can't control. So I'm like, we just have to suck it up and do it. It only took like 30 minutes. So, I mean, it wasn't like too bad, but you know, it is what it is. Some of the other things that were, you know, I wish I would have done differently is I wish I would have lit things differently just because a lot of the movie is very dark, but it's like one of those things like with the camera, I didn't understand all of, you know, having owned that black magic camera for years, I still didn't know all of its flaws because I didn't push it to the absolute max. And we pushed that camera to the absolute max, but you know, you learn. And unfortunately it ended up making a lot of things really difficult to edit in post-production, but you know, that's just how it goes. And now I know how to do those things differently. I don't think I have too many other specific anecdotes about the movie that I want to, that I haven't already shared except for the after party. So we decided to have an after party. I don't think I've ever talked about this on camera either, but we decided we're going to have an after party. Um, probably like a month. It, It was right before the 4th of July. So I threw this party at the main house that we shot the movie at and, you know, I was going to show some scenes and we actually watched uh, something else that I made. And, uh, you know, we had a good time. But, man, did I get so emotional on the car ride home. I bawled my eyes out on the car ride home. It's like every emotion that I was feeling that, that just had been built up for so many years. It's like, oh, my God, this is over this movie's we're never going to shoot this movie again. Like I'm never going to have to think about shooting, cashing out again. And it was just, I was just overwhelmed with just a wave of emotions. And it it just, man, 
get a little emotional just thinking about it. You know, like I, I wish I could go back to the time when we were all shooting this movie just because it was so much fun. But uh, anyway, I'll save that because I, I want to talk about the overall experience at the end. But so, you know, we did film festivals. Um, I didn't get to go to any of them, which kind of sucks. But, you know, we got into a bunch of them, won a bunch of cool awards, too, that I wish I could have accepted in person and had like, you know, my Oscar moment with all of my friends and cast members and crew members, you know, because a lot of them got nominated, too. But alas, COVID hit and, you know, we we couldn't do anything about that. But it is what it is. So we had the theatrical release, which I got screwed over with that, too just because the theater chain ended up shutting down. So I didn't get paid almost, I think I got paid $26 out of like the two grand that they owed me. So there you go. That's Hollywood baby, right? I was fortunate enough that we got a lot of good critical reviews, you know, a lot of very fair and honest reviews. You know, a lot of people mentioned about some of the problems that I had mentioned earlier about like the picture being too dark and stuff like that. And you know, that's fair. But man, when you release something on the internet, people will tell you what you think. And if you look at some of those Amazon or IMDb reviews, man, people dig into this movie. And a lot of it is not fair, but it's their opinion. I finally reached a point in my career where I am headbutting these people. The day has come, and it's so exciting. It hurts my feelings sometimes, but man, we are finally here. But yeah, so... A year ago from tomorrow, I know it's not actually tomorrow, but tomorrow after this gets released, I it'll have been a year since I released the movie to the world. And it's it's quite insane. So, you know, it didn't make all of its money back, but it made a bunch of money. So, I mean, I guess that's good. We're almost to one million minutes watched on Amazon. So I, I'm trying not to plug things as much as I normally do. But if you guys have... If you guys can do me a favor, watch the movie. I think I'm at like 725,000 minutes watched right now. I want to get to a million. And they're pulling a lot of movies off Amazon right now. I'm going to be so pissed if they pull my movie off before it hits a million. But guys, let's get us to a million. So, you know, like I said, it's just growing. It's been growing every month since like December. I don't know what it is, but it's getting... Like uh, January did like 250,000 minutes, which is nuts. You know, I would have never thought that I'd get 250,000 minutes watched in one month. And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Like my biggest watch day was uh, January 24th. And then it ended up getting another big watch day. It was 12,000 minutes. And then another day it ended up getting like 14,000 minutes. And it just keeps growing and growing and growing. I'm guessing people are liking it, which is always positive, but you know, hopefully it continues reaching a bigger audience and eventually I'll be able to, you know, make more movies like this. So to kind of wrap up, wrap this up, I just want to say that I really appreciate everybody who supported this movie thus far, everybody who's watched it, the cast and crew, like I can't thank people enough for letting me live my dream. I'm not living the Hollywood dream. But I don't know if I want to live the Hollywood dream. I'm I'm making my version 
of what the, what I want my Hollywood dream to be. I got to make the movie that I wanted to make. I got to release it in a movie theater. I, people came to see it. I got it reviewed. It's out in the world. People are crapping on it all over Amazon. Like this is, I did this all by myself. And you know, the point about this is not to brag about it, but it's to show you I'm a nobody from Indiana. Like there's nothing special about me. And I was able to do this. If I can do it, anybody can do it. So if you're thinking about making a movie, you can make it happen. You can get it out there in the world. You can have your big world premiere. You can get your actors and crew members and make your dream movie, or at least a version of your dream movie. You can get out there and do it. A lot of people will probably say that there's something special about me, but there's really not. I am just so stubborn that I am willing to do what I need to do to make things happen. And that's all you really need to do. You just have to really just have the passion and drive to make it happen. So if you really want to make it happen, you can live out your own version of the Hollywood dream. Or who knows, you can maybe even live out the real Hollywood dream. Anything's possible. And I really believe that. So yeah, that's me reflecting on making my first feature film and releasing it independently. I I thank you guys for watching it. I thank you guys for watching this. Um, be sure to check out the movie. Let me know what you think. I'd love to know what you think. And, you know, tell me about your experience making a movie. Do you have anything, you know, you want to information you want to let out into the world? Definitely let me know about it. I love hearing about other people's experiences. And if, Hey, maybe if you want to talk to me about your experience making a no budget feature film, we could do a show together. That'd be really awesome. Definitely let me know in the comments or shoot me an email or something. That'd be really cool. But anyway, thank you guys for watching another episode of Shreddy's Take Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on all your favorite platforms. We're on all the big ones, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and of course, a video version on YouTube. Make sure you check out my feature, uh, my first feature film, Cashing Out, which is available on Blu-ray and DVD, as well as video on demand. You can look at how to watch it on any of your favorite platforms at www.cashingoutfilm.com. Be sure to follow me on all my social medias. Apparently, on some of my earlier episodes, I didn't know my own social medias, but it is correct now, at Real Slim Shreddy. You can DM me. Um, anytime about many, about any advice or questions you might have about, you know, making your own movie or just the filmmaking process in general, I'm not, you know, I'm pretty open about talking to people. So shoot me your questions. I'd love to talk to you about whatever you've got. So please go ahead and do that. I'm happy to enter, answer any questions. Thank you again for watching or listening. This has been an AWS Films original production, www.awsfilms.com. And I will see you on the next one. Later. Mm-hmm.